Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hario. And today we wrap up season seven, which is looking at women in film. And for the episode 70, our last of the series, we're going to look back at the 2018 horror thriller, A Quiet Place. Written and directed and starring as well, John Krasinski, and also starring Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe. This 2018 smash horror film has all the formulas for a B-movie, which are movies that most likely will end up on the horror channel in a few days after its release. These B-movies seem to have weird aliens, awful makeup, an unusual concept, and a limited cast, predominantly in one location, who usually can't act. You tend to sidestep these movies religiously unless you're in that mindset for a random monster flick that you seem to find in vast amounts on Amazon Prime at the moment. To say that we avoid movies that are bad is an obvious statement, but the really noteworthy part is the reason why we think it's bad before we've even seen the film. Because our whole opinion of a film is going to be based on an assumption, unless you watch everything and you give everything a chance, which we know is just not the case with most people. Now, some might put off by uh, various amounts of things, like the genre or... The trailer didn't do it for them, the actors, some may not like the director, just didn't get the vibe from the adverts or the poster. But every now and again, there is a film, not not a hidden gem, but more a film that exceeds your expectations. And the reason I don't put uh, the terminology for hidden gem in that category, I mean, a hidden gem, by definition, are very decent films already, having the formula of a good film. It's just not mainstream. That's what a hidden gem is. It's not as appealing as a blockbuster that's directed by Steven Spielberg. Hidden gems are just... You happen to come across and it randomly comes from, you know, usually a word of mouth. But, you know, with what with films like A Quiet Place is one that sort of doesn't fit in any category because it does pique an interest in something quite preposterous. I mean, aliens that kill you if you make a sound. That's pretty much the entire idea of the movie. I mean, however, now again in history, a film will come along like this where it provides on an entirely different level, because it is done well. And if it is done well, if it's done meticulously, then it becomes something more. You can tell that every angle and shot and camera movement in this movie is thought through, and the tension is the silence. And what the silence, in fact, invites is your eyes to widen, to be more aware of what's going on in the movie. And for me, that's cinema at its best, when you can play around with one of the senses in a movie, especially one of sound. I mean, now with horror films, you tend to have this trend, actually, especially in the last two or three years, where they decided to try something new and see what would happen if they could remove one of the senses along with the characters for the movie. I mean, remember that film Bird Box with Sandra Bullock? If you see something, you'll die. Now, we never really see this thing in that movie, but, it, it you know... It was something different, again, you know, with a B-movie concept. And it worked out to a degree, mainly from the star power of Sandra Bullock and John Malkovich. And then we had A Quiet Place that did the same thing, but with sound. Aliens who are attracted to sound. Blind as a bat, but sound is the ringing bell for their attacks. I mean, and there was another film that came out a year later called The Silence, which was fundamentally the exact same concept. I think it starred Sabrina's Kerner Shipka and Stanley Tucci. So they had this sort of, you know, idea two, three years ago. So if one works, then they'll go again. And I must say, A Quiet Place triumphs them all. And part of the reason why was because of the senses they chose to play with, which was sound and the way it was directed. I mean, the camera lens widens in a way that's not been done before, which is what Master of Horror Stephen King said, which according to John Krasinski was the single best compliment he's ever received. 
He said that the film was nothing like any other and the acting was terrific. And that's what you want for actors to realistically give you this notion that this is actually real, despite this ridiculous storyline. Now, most horror films tend to have B actors, hence why horror films are usually second grade to dramas or thrillers. And the acting in these horror films are usually over the top and outrageous. However, when they're done right magic does happen. I mean, how often do you see Robert De Niro or Meryl Streep or Tom Hanks in a horror movie? Hardly ever. So there is this kind of hierarchy in Hollywood with horror genre. But when an A-lister steps in, though, like Emily Blunt or John Kaczynski, the dynamic changes. Your assumption or stereotype to that genre changes. That's why Silence of the Lambs was so popular, because of Anthony Hopkins, not some B-actor who was going to play Hannibal Lecter, but instead an Oscar winner. It's why horror movies now and again deliver something beyond expectation. Not because it's scarier, but because it's more believable and thus, I guess, makes it a scary experience. It just makes it a better film. So this was John Krasinski's baby, his sort of passion project. He didn't write it, but it was his, you know, it was his. Much like Alexander was Oliver Stone's passion project. He wrote, directed and starred in the movie. And the main character is his wife, I would say, uh, Emily Blunt, who they're married in real life. Now, it's a lot of responsibility for a director to get this right, but boy, did he get this right. Now, most actors who take on the megaphone, who become, you know, who sits in the director's chair for the first time, historically have a really good track record. They've done a really good job. I mean, look at Mel Gibson with Braveheart, Kevin Costner with Dancing with Wolves, Angelina Jolie's Unbroken. I mean, the movie tells the story of a family who are living through this post-apocalyptic world where aliens have invaded Earth. And we find out that they're attracted to noise. So every, you know, so everything, I guess, but, you know, you, you guess what they are. You know, they're blind and so sound is the only way to hunt down human beings. You make that assumption. The movie opens, though, with a tragedy that soon shapes the rest of the movie where the family, you know, the, the family hide out on a farm away from these out-of-world beings. The film contains only, what, 25 lines of actual spoken dialogue in the entire movie. However, you know, communication is still vast thanks to the use of sign language in the film. Now, there was a debate with this film as to whether the sign language should be subtitled or not, and they originally decided not to have it subtitled. Nevertheless, there was a scene where Reagan is arguing with her father. That was all in sign language, and they needed to inform the audiences of certain details. So in the end, they had to subtitle all the sign language in the movie. And I think, you know, it's better to keep your viewers informed i think the first line of dialogue in this movie is actually first spoken 38 minutes into the movie i mean that's how long it takes for i mean that's that's a third of the way through the movie because this film was predominantly quiet audience members were quite reluctant to eat food during the cinema so cinemas or businesses like view or odeon actually hated this film because the refreshments or confectionery sales at cinemas did terribly when a quiet place came out and i'm sure it will again when a quiet place 2 comes out which comes out in a few days actually So when this film became a massive box office hit, cinema owners weren't that thrilled about it, nor will they be when the second movie comes out, like I said. I mean, the budget for this film was roughly $17 million, and it ended up grossing over $350 million worldwide. So that is massive, uh, especially for a horror movie at the cinemas. Even got an Oscar nomination for Best Sound Editing, too. So I do love movies that remove the everyday sense to show how important they are equally, to show how we don't really need it as much as we think we do as well i mean the movie exists without sound and with this alternative communication of sign language which the daughter in the movie speaks played by millicent simmons who is fantastic in this film i mean she's actually deaf in real life and been so since she was a baby um and this is her second film actually after wonderstruck uh 
And a, an interesting note about um, what she's wearing, the device she wears is not a hearing aid, as many thought, but it's, it's called a cochlear implant. The cochlea is the spiral uh, bit in your ear that actually um, has the sound waves travel through. And this actually indicates that Reagan has a sensorineural hearing loss, which means her inner ear has sustained some sort of damage. So the cochlear implant translates vibrations in the air into nerve impulses that the brain perceives as sound. So I thought that was actually quite interesting, rather than the fact that she just can't hear at all. So they never explain it, but if you understand uh, what she's wearing, then you know it's quite an interesting subtle nod to what happens at the end. But what's great about this film is sort of the acknowledgement and opportunity this allows for people with disability and the platform it has to educate that without sound. We're not helpless as we originally think. I mean, Sound of Metal came out recently. It's on Amazon prime and that sort of focuses on the deconstruction of a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing and soon realizes how he can actually lead a normal life without sound despite the fact he fixes his uh, he actually fixes his hearing um only at the end to go completely deaf again which is a spoiler for that movie but it's actually an interesting um topic that people are starting to make into movies now another good awareness the Quiet Place, I mean, the film was a masterclass in terms of really capturing this, you know, silent atmosphere. The cast and crew offset had to be quiet throughout the entire production. So when they were filming something really mundane like rolling the dice on film, they had to really amplify that sound. So it really was quiet on set. I mean, the little things in movies really make you aware of how every little thing makes a sound, especially how careful you must be when your life is on the line. I mean, I think in the entire movie, besides the end, no doors are actually opened or closed simply because of this little sound it makes. I mean, and notice that every time an alien is is about to appear, a light flickers, which is a little reveal, um, which they might explain in the second movie. It's kind of like the uh, the oranges in The Godfather. Every time you see oranges, someone's about to die in The Godfather. But yeah, maybe a little... Uh, tribute to that I don't know but yeah I believe it was um, Emily Blunt who convinced John Krasinski her husband to direct the film as well as star in it because of how passionate he was about the project when he read the script he's like well maybe I can do this and Emily Blunt was like you should do it do it uh, I have every faith in you and he did a great job and you know look at you know, the proofs in the pudding right there not only did John Krasinski star write and direct this film he also played the alien in some of the scenes I mean talk about a workaholic I mean I'm just looking at it now and I think that this is John Krasinski's actual third feature film, not first as I said. So he actually has directed two other films, but they weren't as commercial as this one. Because he's married to Emily Blunt in real life, there are actual f- real family photos dotted in the farmhouse. I think they actually have two daughters. And John was very close in not doing the movie, uh, actually, because he was filming his uh, Jack Ryan series. It was actually quite good. And someone approached him, I think it was the producer, and said, do you fancy doing a horror movie? And he said, nah, I don't do horror movies, which goes back to the hierarchy thing I was saying about certain genres earlier. And then the producer said, well, the premise is a family that can't make any sound and you have to figure out why. And as soon as the producer said that, he jumped straight on board for the film. I mean, just a curiosity alone just helped shape that sort of mindset for him to be on board. And then he read the script and he read it and he was like, wow, I've got to do this film. But the film wasn't originally going to be an original standalone movie. They were going to try and use the story to be in the same universe as another horror film or franchise, should I say. So in an interview with the website Slash Film, screenwriters Scott Beck and Brian Woods revealed that the Paramount picture originally intended to incorporate a quiet place into the studio's Cloverfield film franchise. As Beck says in an interview, I guess it crossed our minds and we had spoken to our representatives about the possibility. It was weird timing though because when we were writing the script 10 Clover Lane, which is a sequel to Cloverfield, 
uh, with John Goodman was a paramount. So we were actually talking to an executive there about the film and it felt from, you know, the pitch form that there might be a crossover. But then when we finally took the script into Paramount, they saw it as a totally different movie. So then the screenwriters and director, John Krasinski, were ultimately relieved and grateful for Paramount to finally decide to allow them to make this film as a wholly original standalone film rather than make it as part of the Cloverfield film franchise or universe or any other film franchise for that matter. One of our biggest fears was that this film could have been, you know, getting getting swept up in some kind of franchise or repurposed for something like that and um what he actually said was the reason i say biggest fear is because we love the cloverfield movies they're excellent it's just that film goes we crave new and original ideas and we feel like so much of what's out there is comic books remakes sequels prequels adaptations so it was really good to be involved in something really um original so you know we show up to all of them you know that's what we do as audience we enjoy these movies but our dreams is always to drop something different into the marketplace and so we feel grateful that paramount has embraced this movie as an you know as its own thing and not a part of another universe you know i thought what you know scott and brian said is there's is vital it's key to the future of cinema and original storytelling is very easy to cross over ideas with other existing franchises and i'm glad they've steered away from it i mean obviously people are very curious to see what would happen if alien fights predator what happens if the x-men were in the avengers but sometimes some things are just best left alone i mean this film now i mean it's 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 being born into its own successful franchise with the second one finally coming after the 18th from delay thanks to COVID-19. I mean, A Quiet Place is a needed light at the dark tunnel we seem to have with original horror movies. In fact, just good movies that sit outside the massive selections of remakes, prequels, sequels, or you know, even comic book movies, or even Disney adaptations as well. So I'll talk about one of the most famous scenes in the movie, which is the bathtub scene where she has to somehow give birth without making a single sound with the alien creature nearby, let alone the alien creature anywhere, because if any slight sound and they'll be coming, you know, they'll be running. So that scene apparently was done in one take. And apparently, according to John Kaczynski, after he yelled cut, Emily, Bl- Emily Blunt just broke character and said, right, what's for lunch? Typical Brit, right? <laughs> so they used twin baby actors for the newborns. The parents were on set and were really, you know, supportive with the vision of this movie. And there was a lot of comments about how convenient, you know, how convenient that the baby wasn't crying. But the answer is in the detail of the movie. Now, a lot of people always slay movies like, oh, why did he not pick up the gun? Why did he not shoot that person? Why is that baby conveniently not crying when the alien's there? Well, there are answers if you look very closely. Now, I always say if you really want to capture a movie's true meaning, you have to watch it twice. um, And you'll probably notice things that you probably missed on the first time. And, you know, that's what you should do. So just before she gives birth, Evelyn, I think her name was, she suddenly starts bleeding a large amount of bright red blood, which was not a normal part of early labor because she's, you know, she's about two, three weeks early. And something had gone wrong in her delivery, such as a condition where the placenta is damaged or begins to prematurely separate from the mother's body. So these conditions can actually cause a lot of blood loss in a woman or the baby or both. And this explains why Evelyn lost consciousness after her delivery and why there did not seem to be a problem with the baby crying after delivery. So the baby born before entering the soundproof room and was, you know, it was fairly quiet um, as he was being carried down to the room in Evelyn's uh, arms. The duration of the silence from the baby after birth would be unusual unless there was a problem with the baby, such as blood loss, which was explained by the sudden blood loss Evelyn had in the bathtub. So there's that. That's explained. 
I mean, but, you know, with most good out-of-the-world experience movies, you don't really need to explain the origin of the alien species. I mean, they never really explain the origins of Alien or Predator or the aliens in Independence Day or Signs. You just learn as the movie goes along, trial and error at the expense of the deaths or supporting characters in the movie. With this film, though, I mean, you just have hints with the mise-en-scene, like newspaper articles and the outlines of some of the headlines about this space species from... Um, and from there you just sort of go with it you sort of you know obtain the knowledge for yourself I mean remember the camera is pointing for a reason at certain things we already get the excuse and excuse to pun they they don't like the uh, sorry uh, my pun was actually we already get the sense excuse the pun that they don't like the sound from the incredible sound editing and how careful the actors are being with every little thing I would honestly be dead during the hay fever season hay fever season because I'd be coughing and sneezing and God only knows what, but yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, now a lot of people keep coining the phrase toxic masculinity in this film or trading off the portrayal of women for a disability role. But I think we need to park the issue here because not every film can simply tick every box in a realistic fashion. There will be always something to disappoint someone, no matter the caliber of the storytelling. I mean, the reason I've picked this for season seven is, you know, we, we, we look at women in film and this is A, a performance by Emily Blunt and B, the performance of Millicent Simmons. And this film is a metaphor really for family uh, with the backdrop of a horrific event happening. And the childbirth scene is a metaphor for struggle, for finding a balance in the midst of the madness in the world. And it's a great scene because of that metaphor and imagery. And that is shown really cleverly by how John Krasinski's framed it and how, and then more importantly, how Emily Blunt has done with this film, how she's acted it. Um, and yes, you know, the masculinity in the way he takes his son away and doesn't listen to the older daughter is not exactly winning any feminist awards. However, given the film's true representation of what the main message here is, I think we can let it go. I mean, the film, however, does go towards a sequel where now Emily is now the sole adult, and this itself offers many interesting avenues to take into the film. Um, but I just believe this film is a powerful film for women. It is about parenthood, and it is about adaptability, and I don't think this toxic masculinity article that I read is necessarily true. I just think you could probably find anything non-PC about any film. I mean, Shawshank Redemption doesn't have any women. What are we going to do about that, you know? But for me, I mean, think this film is it's very underrated in terms of how good of a film it is. It's actually a, a really good film. Forget that fact that it's a horror. I think it's just a very good film in terms of how they've executed it. I mean, forget the specific roles as a gender or disability or age. You just need to look at the species in this movie. The film is beyond these debates. It's about what it means to be human, what it takes to be human, what it means to adapt to a situation that is virtually impossible to live uh, from what we are used to. I mean, this film, in essence, like I said, is about parenthood and the sacrifices our mums and dads have gone through to make sure that we have a future. And if that isn't obvious in this film, then just look at the two main leads who happen to be married with two daughters. But yeah, there's always a hidden meaning behind every film. But anyways, that's all I have time for with A Quiet Place, a great horror film of the last decade, I think. And I think we'll spawn into a trilogy with critical acclaim. I mean, you can... Uh, just see this film spawning off into many other films hopefully they just stop at the trilogy though but anyway uh, so you can subscribe subscribe to me on Spotify iTunes and Google and you can also give me a follow on Instagram film exploration AH or lowercase or one word and thank you again for listening to season, uh, season 7 I shall be back shortly with season 8 with a new focus and I believe the focus will be films adapted from novels uh, but anyway once again thank you for listening to film exploration with Ash Hurry. Hurry